who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Some of you may think a podcast about representation, it's not for me. But if you're a human being, then the podcast Reppin is for you because we all represent something as people. So are you interested in knowing what you have in common with your favorite actors to best-selling authors and leaders in different genres? On Reppin, you'll meet notable people you think you know, You'll see what they show up for, and you'll see what they represent. It's an insightful, feel-good show, hosted by me, Evelyn. So come and take a listen. Reppin is available wherever you get your podcasts. Hello there, Scoobies. It's Kristen. I'm all alone up in the introduction, probably because Jenny is just feeling the pressure of having been the same exact age as me for nearly three weeks now. The truth is, Jenny had a show in New York City just last night. And so I am here to intro us into this episode. Help. I hope that I do you proud. Uh, Just a couple of quick announcements. First of all, Hey, we're going to take a little break, just a little, a wee little break. We will be back on January 5th, so it's really just one extra week without us in your ears, giving us the time to, I don't know, eat some candy canes, have some cocoa, put our feet up and watch some holiday movies, get cozy, and wish with all our might that Faith will show up at our doors with some crappy gifts. Hey, speaking of crappy gifts, wow, what a horrible introduction to telling you about our store. (laughs) Gifts that are not crappy can be found in our store. And today, December 15th, is the last day that you can order here in our U.S. store so that orders will ship by the 17th and allegedly get to you before Christmas if that's your kind of deal. So you can head on over to bufferingthevampireslayer.com slash shop uh, and you can find our stores there. There's a ton of fun stuff there. T-shirts, hats, a couple of mugs. Not too many mugs are left. So if you want to smash the Demon Lizard Patriarchy mug, you better scoot over there. I think there were eight left last I checked. Anyway, live your life. Do your thing. Also, hey, prom is on the brain for many of you. The Saturday night tickets are still sold out, but we do have Friday night tickets available. So if you go to bufferingthevampireslayer.com slash prom, While they last, you can get a ticket to the Friday night live taping. It's still at Torrance High School, a.k.a. Sunnydale High. Jenny and I are going to be talking about all of our favorite scenes from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We're going to have special guests. Jenny's going to play music. 
It'll be a good time. Also, it does look like we are probably going to be able to have a virtual option for prom. We are working really hard to make that possible. So stay tuned because in early January, if things go according to plan, we will hopefully have a virtual option for those of you who cannot be in Torrance with us in March. All right. I've invented a Jenny bot. Yes, I invented it <laughs> for this week's Sexual Attention Award winners. Uh, last time I was up here by myself, I did an impression of Jenny and it was great. And thank you all for your compliments. But, you know, I don't want to sour that memory by doing less of a good job. So instead, this time we'll try the Jenny bot. All right. Here are the rankings from last episode's Sexual Attention Awards. In fourth place, with 10% of the vote, we have Jenkins and Rosenberg. That's Jenkins and Rosenberg. Wow, wow, wow. In third place, with 11% of the vote, just 1% more than that last place slot, we have Rosenberg and Jenkins. Nice. In third place, 35% of the vote, candles lit, Anya and Willow. And our winners, our winners, our winners... Willow and Anya with 44% of the vote. I heard rumor that many of you chose this option for the ship name, Willia, because yes, we will. Uh, if you'll excuse me, I have something in my eye. I understand, Jenny Bot. It's emotional when two women love each other so deeply and want to kiss so badly. Uh, let's roll into today's episode, season seven, episode four, help, uh, content warning. There will be light conversation on the themes of suicide and depression. Welcome to Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one by one, spoiler free, in tandem with my dates to the winter formal, Angel on Top. <laughs> Both of them? What about me? Get your own dates. Wow. I'm Jenny Owen Youngs. <laughs> I'm... Kristen Russo, now looking for a date to the Winter Formal. And this week, we are talking <laughs> about Season 7, Episode 4, Help! I need somebody help, mm. not just anybody. Yeah, listen, you're not the only one who can sing a tune around here. <laughs> okay. Stay, okay. Stay tuned at the end of this podcast <laughs> every other week for an original song written by Jenny Owen Youngs, recapping the Buffy episode we are discussing help was written by rebecca rand kirshner and directed by rick rosenthal it originally aired on october 15th 2002 every time i hear rick rosenthal i just like i hear rick roll before i hear the full name mm. you know rick, oh yeah rick roll sure. linthal uh, this is the one, according to IMDb, where Buffy begins a new job as a school counselor with simply no background or experience. IMDb <laughs> did not say that. I added my uh, little flourish yeah. there at Sunnydale High yeah. School. On her first day, she encounters a troubled young girl who is convinced she is about to die. Spoiler, she is. Previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, it did get a little sexy, didn't <laughs> it? It did. 
Canada. They're like, Anya uh, and Willow, smooch, smooch, Wood and Buffy, smooch, smooch. They were like putting all the little couples up at the top. Uh-huh, uh-huh, um, uh-huh. And asking the most important question of the front of season seven, why is Buffy a counselor? <laughs> Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Uh, but luckily, we don't start in the counselor's office. We start in a funeral home. I just want to like be a fly on the inside of the writer's room for this season where they're like, last season, guys, what are we going to do? What are we going to change it up? <laughs> What's spicy? What's a nice spicy way to get a vampire? I know. Let's hide Re- Rebecca Rand Kirshner is like, I've never written dialogue between uh, two staff members of a funeral home. <laughs> Uh, I would love to hear what they have to say to each other. The the verbal high fives they give each other uh, as they close up shop for the night, leaving the casket wide open overnight. Do we have any uh, embalmers or funeral home directors? We do, right? Because I don't. I just we definitely do. You don't leave it open overnight, right? That doesn't seem. It's like when you put leftover macaroni and cheese in the fridge jennifer owen young you cover it i'm just saying yeah, you are and fired if, small and fine if, print on and our contract you, said if you ever compare a corpse to macaroni and cheese you're fired <laughs> and if you would cover something so fleeting and inconsequential as macaroni and cheese leftovers would you not also cover your dearly departed loved ones a i just threw up in my mouth and b Macaroni and cheese is not embalmed. So I do think that we have to ask the experts on this as much as that was very highly sure. educated I mean, I know there's analysis. like preservation uh, going into the whole process. I guess but it craft, just seems rude, honestly, more than anything. Out of the box, macaroni and cheese might be close to embalmed, to be honest with you. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Wow. Um, I feel like there has to be a better way. Yeah. Also- Surely... Surely Dawn is out there with a little lockpick kit, honing her lockpicking skills. There's no reason anybody had to wait. Also, what they went into browse at coffins and then and then disappeared. When the funeral home director like left the room for a second and came back. They were just poof gone. <laughs> and also, why are there three empty coffins in the room with the lady? I watch Six TV Under, and they keep their display coffins in a separate area from where they keep their actual used coffins. So. Just mm-hmm. many bones mm-hmm. to pick in this funeral home. And the serious angle of this, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a moment played for comedy. But the first thing I thought was like, seriously, Buffy's inside of a coffin? That seems like the most triggering thing that she could ever, ever possibly do. She literally woke up inside of her own fucking coffin and dug herself out of the ground mm. last season. So like that might account for why she opted to cram Dawn, who is taller than her, into the child coffin. <laughs> Dawn constantly reminding everyone that she's not the shortest one. <laughs> <laughs> um, Xander, you know, basically asks what we're asking. Why are we doing this? And Buffy's like, this is how I know how to do it. One at a time. Vampire by vampire. Some instructions on writing in life. Classic book. The Craft of Writing by Anne Lamott. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Um, so they have a conversation, a brief conversation, just about being stressed out. And we get, like, the classic Buffy the Vampire Slayer Venn diagram of stress. 
our best friend tried to destroy the world, is now uh, recovered at home, but we're unsure. There's something that wants to devour us from below, and it's a school night, you know? While our various uh, undertaker and funeral home director and embalmer listenership is already writing us an email, could you also please reveal to us whether it is professional or not to leave two big... No. Black thready stitches. I mean, I clearly visible this in someone's neck. neck. This is what I would do to stitch this woman's neck <laughs> shut. This is not a good job. I, this is not. <laughs> uh, Kristen is to these stitches. Kristen is to these stitches as Buffy is to counseling. Yes, exactly. Um, so, also, I just like not to put too fine a point on it, but you're. The, the conversation that the actual undertakers do have when they're leaving, you like mentioned it, but it is hilarious. It does sound like two sportscasters who are just like leaving the big yeah. game. <laughs> wow, you really did a nice job on her. Wow, it goes so great. High five. Boom, turning the lights off. Good evening, Charles. So Buffy is worried. Um, I mean, she's valid in her concern that she might not have what it takes to be a school counselor. <laughs> Xander is uh, like very full of belief in her, which is nice. I mean, like, uh, you know, surface friend wise, this is what you do. You have belief in your friends. They can do this. But as we will get more and more into mm-hmm. Buffy is, um, you know, probably lacking in some training here. Yeah. Then we get this this vampire. So many vampires, I feel, are coded Italian. Is it just me? Because this lady is straight out of like Long Island. My my like mm. straight out of Long Island. My like grandfather's Italian kitchen. He, you know, Dawn's like she looks peaceful and she opens her eyes and she's about to like take a bite of her fucking biscotti and she's like, I am not peaceful. <laughs> I. Did not experience no. this in any particular direction, I but got, I celebrate sh- your experience. Thank you. I just got strong Italian vibes from this lady. Mm. Credits. Credits. And then cut to Sunnydale High School. Here's a 35-year-old high school student strolling down the hall. <laughs> I mean, listen, we're still fresh off of 90210 giving us the oldest teenagers that ever graced high school's hallways. So, like, our brains at this point are fully accepting whatever age person you put. In. Give them a backpack. They're a high school student. That's how it worked then. <laughs> sure. Sure, yes. Uh, Buffy is uh, electric sharpenering her pencils. I like this. I didn't realize it until right this moment, actually. But, like, so much of the episode is about how she's trying to apply what she's learned as a slayer <laughs> to being a counselor. Sharp wood things. Right. Let me make the wooden things at my desk sharp. I know how to do that. Um, so it's a cute, it's a quick moment, but I think it's nice for the overlay of the whole episode, which is really looking at what happens when you get a new job and you only have one particular experience to apply to it. Mm. We get Amanda, played by Sarah Hagen, who you may yes. know from Freaks and Geeks. Oh, yes. I hope that we get Sarah on the show. She's a delight. And I hope she can come and talk to us about her time in the Sunnydale High School hallways. She's got a situation with a guy picking on her, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) This whole, um, I recently, one of our listeners, Bree, sent us a link to some of the promos for the last few episodes of the series. And watching the promos, because I don't watch the promos a lot, and watching them made me sort of realize and remember how dramatically positioned shows 
all shows were, but like we're watching it without the promos. So we're like, oh yeah, this like really serious stuff is happening to Buffy, but the promos are like, and then, and they're like super cut. <laughs> it's like teen drama, blah, blah, blah. And watching this, like how these scenes are cut, it sort of connected me to like, right, we're trying to like really position this show in a certain way. I don't know. There's something about the like, intercut like different students and all of them having their different stories that felt like very teen drama on television to me in a way that this show doesn't always feel yeah 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 well they're cramming a lot of teen drama uh into this quick sort of flurry of scenes we've got amanda who starts out by saying a guy's been (laughs) picking on her and then we eventually get to the point that she beat the crap out of him and Buffy's like trying to be professional but is secretly like fuck yeah <laughs> we've got Tomas who does not want to talk does not want to talk at talk. all don't make him talk eventually he talks don't make him talk Peter Peter Zachary Ty Bryan is Peter where do we know Zachary uh, Ty Bryan from the home improvement Veronica Mars also, I read Tokyo Drift, although I haven't seen that fast in the Furious. Oh yeah, yet. Tokyo Drift. Um, uh, he thought it was best he come speak with Buffy because he's bored. Because he's bored. He starts out though by saying, "My parents. I, oh no, I'm here because of divorce." And she's like, "Oh, I really, I like, I can really relate to that." And he's like, "You know, my parents are actually really happy. It's just that everyone else's parents are getting divorced, and I feel left out." Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. I'm sure it still exists, but do you remember Banana Splits? Did you have Banana Splits? I don't know what that is. I feel like this is not the first time I've brought it up on this podcast, but Banana Splits was the like special group where all of the kids in class who had divorced parents would get together and talk about their divorced what? parents. It was called Banana Splits. What? <laughs> and I was always really jealous that I didn't get to go to Banana Splits. Sometimes they even get to eat Banana Splits, and I didn't because oh my, my parents okay, were married. Well, that's an incentive. <laughs> Trying to do, trying to make your parents divorce just so you can have a banana split in, uh, in middle yeah. school. Uh, we don't get a lot of Tomas's story at the jump. All we get is that he doesn't want to talk. We get a little more from Peter and Amanda. Um, and before we go back to find out more about what's going to happen in this counselor's office, we get uh, a walk outside. You don't know where they are at first. Uh, Xander and Willow are chatting. They're strolling. They're chatting. Xander's commenting... On the uncatchiness of the phrase, from beneath you, it devours. Xander, I challenge you to take a spin on the old SS. F-B-Y-I-D? Try saying F-B-Y-I-D. It might feel better to you. It's feeling worse and worse to me the more you say it, so I'm not sure I agree. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) Uh, Willow's worried that when it does devour from beneath them she will not be able to help yeah or she might do bad things right and this is great from xander this is straight (gasps) the hammer analogy i always think about this analogy when i'm hammering things (laughs) which is often actually if i know you yeah you you are often hammering things i'm not joking you probably think i'm being sarcastic listeners i'm not i'm truly respecting the amount that jenny own young's hammers things into walls and other surfaces there's a lot to hammer 
It's also the same kind of idea as The Subtle Knife from the Golden Compass series, which is one of my favorite things of all time. The Subtle Knife, if you try too hard to cut between dimensions, it shatters. But if you don't try enough, it won't work. There's this (laughs) in-between of control and power that you have to find the balance for in order to get the thing done and you know, it's, it's nice. I, I, in my notes, I actually drew a little hammer. I drew a little diagram. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I have terrible news for everyone. Yeah, I have terrible news. Willow is headed to a specific place. <sighs> She's headed to visit Tara's grave. And I don't know if you had closed captioning on on Hulu while you were watching. I had Hulu it on closed captioning but... has... Xander says, are you sure you're ready for this? And that stays on the screen from when he says it to Willow's whole slow walk up to the headstone. It's very upsetting. Yeah, it's really sad and beautiful and powerful. I mean, and I love how they do this because, like, we're always in a fucking cemetery in this show. You know, like, it's just constantly. But this feels so... They've set this up in a totally different place. It's very open. It's very bright. um, And it really just gives a whole different energy to this moment than we usually get when we're in a cemetery we haven't even seen like Buffy and Dawn visit Joyce's grave I think the only time anybody's gone to a grave in remembrance was uh when they went to Jenny Callender's grave that's the only one I remember specifically but I'm sure if we're wrong at least one person will tell us I'm sure someone will (laughs) let us know so Um, So Willow does something. She walks up to the grave. First of all, we're all like collectively gasping and being like, oh, no, oh, no. Because you really I mean, I don't know, maybe maybe some of you saw it coming. But like I didn't see it coming. I didn't know that this I didn't remember this was going to happen. And it just sort of like hit me hard. Um, And she has a rock that she puts on uh, Tara's grave. That's the first thing that she does. And this is we we talked in the intro of last episode about how later this season we're going to be doing an episode on Willow and the fact that Willow is Jewish and the show near to never touches on the fact that she is Jewish in any way, shape or form. This is one of the moments that is this is a Jewish tradition to put a rock on a grave when you visit it. I I read some stuff, I know Jenny, you did too, about like the origin of it and the story of it. And there are a lot of different explanations to um to why this happens and what it symbolizes and and all of that. And I think that we will be lucky enough to get into it with people who know a lot more than we do when we do this special episode. Um, but it is nice to see it. Although Jenny, you read something that uh you wanted to bring up as well, yeah? Yeah, I was looking at the Wikipedia article for Visitation Stones, and maybe it's worth mentioning. I'm not sure if there is a meaningful like uh, difference between the word rock and stone in oh, this particular yeah, application. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, on the page about uh, Visitation Stones, it says that the stone is placed by the left hand, and Alison Hannigan uses her right hand. I don't know if this is... We don't know anything, but we only know uh, what we've read. And, you know, I mean, I think Judaism specifically, at least a guy <clears throat> I've taken a lot of like comparative religion courses and things. I was very, very, very deeply interested in religion um, when I was in college. And so I took a lot of courses on it. And I remember like one of the things that I was most blown away by in what I learned about Judaism was how much 
uh, people were encouraged to really examine and turn over the text and um, come to their own understandings of it. Because as somebody who grew up as Catholic, um, that was not encouraged at all. Um, and so I think because of that, like when you read, when when somebody, when people like us Google and we're like looking online, like we're finding a lot of different things. You know, one of the things that I thought was really beautiful that I read was that it's a way for like when you go to visit somebody um, and you see that there are stones, you know that other people have been there and have been visiting with them. I thought that was like really beautiful. Mm. But all that to say, um, we have a large Jewish listenership. So please let us know if if the left hand or the right hand is like a hard rule or if that isn't like, let us know. Tell us your thoughts. Um, but it is at least nice to see a touch of Willow's Jewish identity in the show because we don't see it ever. Yes. And it is one thing is certain, Ugh. regardless of whatever religion or spiritual practice you might uh value or have in your life you will almost certainly feel attacked by this scene how dare they it's me that's all she says she's like tracing the letters of tara's name in the headstone and she just says hey it's me no nah can i say one thing you may (laughs) Only one thing, though, for the rest of the podcast. Make it good. <laughs> uh, I feel like the headstone could look more headstone-y. Mm. I thought the black fill on the letters was an interesting choice <laughs> and one that I am not familiar with. Okay. Well, please note, uh, Jenny Owen Youngs would not like black <laughs> fill on her. <laughs> when you bury me, whenever that day arrives, please do not fill the letters on my tombstone. They did. They did more work on Buffy's tombstone. It's clear. Oh, yeah. Buffy's was just a straight engraving. Yes, it was. Anyway. Out of the cemetery and into the counselor's office, the Buffy Summers mm-hmm. story. Here is where we get more of Tomas. Um, So basically, his story is that his brother has joined the Marines and he's terrified that he won't come back. And this was actually very striking to me because I had just we had just come off of talking about the airport and 9-11 and how the the rules in the airport were changing. And of course, this is also right around the time that we're all watching the United States go to war and people are joining the army and the Marines and the Navy and all these things. And it is especially if you are uh, this age at this time, Like, this was put here, I think, very uh, purposefully. This was what was happening um, if you were a high school student in the -hmm. United States at that time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have, you know, I have some feelings in many ways about Buffy being a counselor. I, You know, this is also not too far away from, like, Dangerous Minds and other (laughs) movies and TV shows where, like, the white lady can help the person of color. So I have, like, that twinge of, like... I don't know how I feel about this particular combination of people. I also have that same twinge when she is talking about suicide later because she does not have any experience or training inside of mental health. Do, 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 do. So just putting those pins, those pin, yeah, those pins in the pin cushion. Yeah. Here comes Josh. What an asshole. <laughs> Uh, 
You say asshole. Uh, I say an outside the box thinker. <laughs> Buffy does a fantastic uh, job with the gay student who is not gay. Uh, yes. Great job. She she says, Josh says, I'm worried I'm gay. Her immediate response. I'm so thankful that you'd come to me. There is nothing to be ashamed of. Knocked it out of the park, Buffy. Absolutely great job. job. It's almost like she has had experiences with gay people. Like, this is something that yes. she has lived experience with. So she has learned. She has done hey. the right thing here. Unfortunately yes. for her, Josh just wanted a date. Yeah. Points for originality, Josh. But please go back to class and never return. <laughs> um, something else that Buffy has a little bit of lived experience with is um sibling drama her next client client <laughs> has a sister who is controlling doesn't let her make her own decisions uh, borrows her clothes without asking great it's done it's good it's a good comic <laughs> good comic moment here this is a good i mean this episode especially the pacing of these teens is it's done very well the editing is really like timed right the comedy is there it's good that's good stuff um, and then right after dawn, we meet Cassie. Uh, Cassie. Cassie, my imaginary best friend from high school. Literally. The coolest girl in school. I mean, this is like my biggest note about Cassie is Cassie is the is such a fucking dead on look from the 90s and early aughts. I had like one friend in particular who looked exactly like Cassie from the like. Oh my God. I also had one friend in particular who looked exactly like Cassie. I think it's like a requirement if you had high school in the 90s or early on. Did you have a friend, one friend in particular who looked exactly like Cassie? We want to hear your story. Call us at 1 800. Yes, I did. 1 800. One Cassie. I had one. That's 1 800. The number one, Cassie. <laughs> but also i realized while i was saying that that the name of the girl in my high school was cassandra which is dude creepy okay actually sorry this is not relevant to anyone but us but cassie is actually a dead ringer for two people that i went to high school with or one person i went to high school with and one person one person who was my age from another school that i was friends with because of youth group whose name was cassie <laughs> oh my god so I, no yeah so this is real this is actually the show is fictional except for cassie cassie is fully a real human pulled out of the ether that is placed yes. one in each school correct <laughs> but this like flat platinum hair this like particular way of dressing and moving and talking it is like such a thing it is like so fucking it's just it just feels very real to me. And um, this character is played by an actress named Azura Sky. She is in a ton of stuff. A cool lot of, name. What? Cool. Very cool name. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the people in this episode have been in a shit ton of things. Um, like this is season seven, Buffy. They are not fucking around. They're like, have you been in 40 other shows? Then you are allowed to be on this one. <laughs> um <laughs> So anyway, Cassie Cassie also has purple streaks in her hair, which made me laugh only because last week on Angel on Top, uh, we met Gwen and Gwen had red streaks in her hair. And Morgan and Latoya pointed out that if you have streaks in your hair, then you are in trouble. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> <"It's a joke." laughs> 
It's true. It's true. She has streaks and their theory holds. Um, <gasps> when Elena has streaks uh, in her hair on the Vampire Diaries, she's in trouble. I'm sure that's where their theory originated. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, we learned that Cassie um, is really just not interested in doing any schoolwork because she mm-hmm. knows that she's not graduating because next Friday she's going to die. Cut to commercial. Well, and then Buffy is like, uh, before Cassie reveals that she's going to die next Friday, uh, she just tells Buffy that she's not going to graduate high school. And Buffy is immediately on red alert. Cassie deftly changes the subject by saying, I really like that shirt. Buffy is wearing a white, plain white tank top. A plain white tank top. Where'd you get it? Where'd you get that very unique shirt? I simply must have one of my own. But where? From whence could I ever... I took the same Obtain note. such I was a like, garment as this. Allow this to happen. Like Buffy must have been like her wardrobe must have been something different when they wrote the script. They had to have changed. Well, it. I think that wardrobe probably happened just after the fact. Right. <laughs> they, I don't think the the script writer is thinking about wardrobe. Maybe Cassie but the wardrobe thought... person <laughs> should get a copy of the script. I say. <laughs> maybe maybe Cassie thought that the fancy pearls were attached. To the white tank top, and that's why she thought it was possibly. Mm, yes. <laughs> anyway, um, Buffy immediately assumes, based on Cassie saying next Friday I'm going to die, that Cassie is suicidal. This is where I have training question mark exclamation point exclamation point exclamation point in my notes because uh-huh. you know there are certain things that should be required if you're going to talk to students in a counselor capacity. I understand that she's not there as like a therapist, but if you're in a capacity where students are told to come to you with their feelings, then you at least need to know how to talk to somebody who is suicidal and what to do. And Buffy clearly does not have those tools. And that is an issue. Cassie is not suicidal, but if she were, Buffy would not have the tools here to properly uh, create a safety plan with her at all yeah um yeah anyway um <laughs> more on this as we continue through the season <laughs> and episode uh Cassie's like no no <laughs> no no I'm not gonna hurt myself I just I just happen to know that I'm going to die next Friday uh just like I know there will be coins lots of weird coins and you'll try to help you'll go somewhere dark underground uh but just like never mind forget I said anything don't worry about it and put a sweater on so your shirt doesn't get ruined <laughs> Cassie's, Cassie's relationship to her psychic abilities is wonderful it's like yeah. so chill. She's just so chill. Yeah. You know, she's like where you like if you want to smoke some pot, hit Cassie up. She's got you covered. <laughs> I don't know about your Cassie in your high school, but my Cassie definitely smoked pot. <laughs> yes, correct. Correct. It's an undeniable fact. <laughs> all the Cassies smoke pot. All of these particular Cassies, 1-800-1 Cassie, they all smoke pot. So <laughs> so we go into principal wood's office always love to get a visit with principal wood and his response to this is i like i think that this is uh like a standard teacher response like it is i mean 
His other principal response should be to make sure that Buffy is prepared for this. But in terms of his own preparation, he's responding like, I know what to do. This is what we do. We inform. I mean, what they should be doing is like talking to the teachers and helping the student, not talking to the teachers and searching lockers. That's like a real thing that I remember from high school. Why were people always searching our fucking lockers? Get the fuck out. It's my locker. Fuck you. Mm. Regardless, he's just like, it's hard. This is hard, right? This is a hard time for a lot of people. A lot of students are going to say a lot of things. We do the best that we can do. Um, And Buffy is just like, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand. Like, I never get a heads up before somebody dies. And he's like, skirt, what? (laughs) Say what? What did you? What? Oh, and also, how are those dead dogs? Like, he's like, Principal Wood's like taking notes. (laughs) But in the middle of this scene, uh, something else happens, doesn't it, Jenny? Oh, Oh, my capital note is, oh, Lord. Um, Principal Wood starts telling a story about this one time when he was a kid. Mm -hmm. He told everybody that he was going to bust someone's ass. Yep. Uh, And apparently that kind of talk was taken very seriously where he's from. Buffy stepping in as the white lady. Mm. The hood, she says. And then Wood. I do really appreciate Wood's response. He's like. Beverly Hills, which is a hood. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But like, this is one of these moments that the show gives us where it's just, we've talked about it enough. Maybe we haven't, but it's just like, it's a quick throwaway joke that calls out this like racist idea that the white girl thinks that the black man is from the hood automatically. And it's played for a joke but there's never any invest- there's never anything deeper than this which is why it's right, just right. like come on you can't just have the it's not that you can't have you can't i mean you certainly can call out a white woman for assuming this and make it a joke like i don't think that is is uh upsetting it's just that there's never any other stuff and you I, by itself it doesn't stand um though yeah. points to points to principal wood for being like oh my god you fucking white lady <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, uh, then, <gasps> oops. <gasps> oops, as it was foretold in prophecy, Buffy spills coffee all over her very unique shirt that she'll never be able to replace never. a one of a kind. You know where she got that shirt? White tank top. <gasps> where? I know where she got that fucking shirt. She kept it from her girlfriend, of course. She probably has at least a few of them. Every oh, time, every time so she it's misses not just fate. very cool, but it's also, it has sentimental value. And now it's covered in coffee stain. Ah, she can bleach it. It'll be fine. You know that thing where you're going about your business, retrieving various books that you need from your locker, mm-hmm. and when you close the door, boo, your sister's right there, <laughs> and she has a job for you. Uh, I do. I don't actually know that feeling. My sister was never waiting outside a locker for me to tell me that she had a job for me. (laughs) It's time for Dawn to go deep undercover. Harriet the Spy vibes here. And become friends with Cassie. (laughs) Ta-da! Um, Mike, we meet Mike in the library. He is such a cute... Mike is a boy that I would have had a crush on in high school for sure. He's such a cute little nerd boy. I love him. And he wants Cassie to design matching tattoos uh for both of them which is adorable nothing like getting a matching tattoo with your high school friend (laughs) i mean slash potential love interest (laughs) so they're talking about tattoo ideas a snake a hula girl how about a sexy snake hula girl i say yes um 
The word lame is spoken here for the first time in this episode. It is probably said 12 times in this episode alone. It, they use the word so many times. We've already talked about Oof, it. Don't yeah. use it. Stop. Stop. Just stop. But this is its first appearance. And um, Mike invites Cassie to the winter formal. And she's like, nah. <laughs> oh, thank you. She's too uh, cool. She's too cool for school. She doesn't want to go to the winter formal. Mm, she actually just Dawn wants- rolls up and very smoothly asks Cassie for their pottery class homework. Dawn is the opposite of smooth in every moment in this episode, and I love it. Hello. The joke's on her. <laughs> Cassie didn't write it down because she's no longer engaged with school in any way. Mike leaves like it's like I don't even know why Mike leaves because if you gave Dawn one half of one more second she definitely would have probably walked away but Mike's like I'll just let you two talk about your weird ceramics shit together he's got to study for his class he does so okay so I'm just gonna do like a quick little aside here because I as Mike walked away I saw that he was holding a textbook so I rewound it to be like what textbook are they learning from because most high school textbooks that talk about history are fucking bullshit i went i think i've talked about this here before i went to a high school where we actually read the people's history of the united states in our history class which was fucking rad Uh, but he's holding a textbook and it's called land of the free so i just googled it not thinking i would find anything like all that big but i kind of did jenny so can i tell you oh So this textbook was published in 1965. It's called Land of the Free. And it was a specific answer. I'm just going to read some tiny excerpts from uh, an article that I found on this textbook from a site called The Avocado. I'll link the whole thing if people want to read more about it because I found it really fascinating. Um, But basically, in the 60s, there were a ton of battles happening about desegregation and expanding uh, Black Studies courses People like Martin Luther King, Andrew Clayton Powell, the Congress for Racial Equality um, and other allies were pressuring states to develop textbooks that did a better job at portraying the history of the United States, including contributions by black people um, and including the history of what this country uh, had done over the course of many, many hundreds of years in a more honest light. Right. Hmm. Not surprising that this is being called for. Um, And parents, and this is just, it's so like, especially in this current climate where we're hearing so much about critical race theory being included in schools and parents and teachers and uh, all people being like, don't, no, you can't do this. It's like, (laughs) this is the 1960s. So this uh, one version of this battle is happening. And there are a lot of people who want better textbooks that do actually talk about things accurate, more accurately at the very least. So this historian, this black man, John Hope Franklin, was hired as a response to this argument uh, to write a textbook and wrote Land of the Free, right? The -hmm. textbook comes out. It's not, it's definitely, it's doing a lot more than textbooks were doing. It's still maybe not doing what we would want textbooks to do today, but it's doing a lot. It, it talks about uh, Frederick Douglass and, you know, talks about the civil rights struggle, uh, talks about the displacement of Native Americans, disenfranchisement of women. It's doing things, right? Mm-hmm. So the book comes out. A lot of people lose their fucking minds because that's what they fucking do. Uh, in particular, there was a Pasadena-based activist group called the Land of the Free Committee that just attacked this book, submitted all of these papers against it and what have you. And so because of the backlash, they pulled the book 
and had to re like they basically took a bunch of shit out of it before they re-released it. So some stuff remained, but <sighs> a lot of what was in the original. So I don't know which version <laughs> I don't know which version Mike has, but it was just mm-hmm. like I looked up this textbook thinking I was gonna find like maybe a couple of things, and it actually is a really, really big historical deal, the conversation that happened around this particular textbook. So I don't know if it was intentional or not, but I'll put the link in the show notes today. So if you want, because it's a pretty long article. There's a lot more that I didn't say. uh, So you can read about it. But it was just very exciting. I got real nerdy when I uh, learned about this whole thing. How do you feel, Jenny? Are you excited about my nerdery? Yeah, I'm very excited. (laughs) (sighs) Anyway, Mike's going to get a B. (laughs) Yeah. That's the that's the bottom line. Uh, Cassie's reading Slaughterhouse Five. Mm. And, I know uh, that Don's you read like, that book, class? Jenny. I think when I first re- met you, you were reading that book. You were really channeling your Cassie vibes then. <laughs> mm, yes, uh, Cassie's reading it just for her. She does what she wants mm-hmm. instead of homework. Cassie's so cool, and Don knows it. Don's like, you are so yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Cassie puts it together that Don is, wait, no, that Buffy is Don's sister. <laughs> and also tells Don that she didn't say yes to Mike for the dance because she, quote, won't be around that night, end quote. Yeah, Don calls Mike a cutie. So write that in your Shanshu prophecies. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I don't think we ever see Mike again. <laughs> Has Cassie had this gift for a long time like what's going on it feels like she has had this gift for a long time but that she only recently saw this like saw her death you know like that for a long because she she seems very comfortable with how she talks about what's going to happen um but then we learn in the next scene actually we're in the the dining room of the summer's house old hq and Mm -hmm. They're like, she had good grades, but then something changed. And so I don't think that what changed was that she suddenly could see things. I think what changed was that suddenly she saw this thing. Um, And she was like, well, if this is the reality, then fuck that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I don't understand why they don't accept her as a psychic right away. We live in Sunnydale. Why is, why are they like just not more open to this? Uh, I guess maybe even in Sunnydale, it's more likely that you would be a teenager, um, going through something than a precog. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fair. Uh, okay. So back at Scooby headquarters, Buffy, Willow, and Xander are researching Cassie. Something alarming about this scene is that it once again, a counselor with absolutely no training or qualifications can get a student's medical records. Yeah, this is where it really, really goes off the rails. And after this, we get this really fun. There's a lot of we're like really in beginning Internet now. Like this this yes. 2002 moment is just like really playing with the Internet. So the first funny Internet exchange we get is Willow saying, have you Googled her? And Xander saying, She's 17 and Willow being like, it's a search engine. It's like it, it is like it was like a funny joke then. Then it wasn't funny at all. And now it's come all the way back around again yeah. to being funny. All the way back. Uh, Cassie has a website. Is this would you say this is Flash? I tried uh, to see the yeah, I think I think it is. I tried to see the URL. I couldn't see it. I really that's a, that's a poems miss. are floating. Geocities.com backslash 
one Cassie. One Cassie. <laughs> <laughs> live journal. Uh, when did live journal happen? Was that that was like now, right? Not the now now, but then now. Right, the then now for sure. Yeah. Um, but she's like done some fucking like this is she, Cassie knows how to code, man, because she's got like fucking art popping around you didn't have squarespace yep. in 2002 to automate your shit no. if you wanted fucking images to pop around you had to get in the back end of your site and code that shit so cassie knows what she's doing yeah. she's writing poetry i can identify with that how about you jenny sure yeah that's just that's uh the definition of high school is writing poetry as far as also, I'm also just to fully flesh out the the one cassie everybody's cassie also wrote poetry you did that oh, of course like 1000 percent. the cat the cassies of the world uh of all the high schools in the 90s and aughts wrote poetry yeah we get this poem from cassie let's see i mean you know it's basically there's a lot of conversation about a pale fish um there's a lot of uh there's some like my body is not ready yet i think she's talking about well you're more into poetry than i am um as a songwriter so maybe you gleaned more from the poem but basically what i got was i'm going to die um i know i'm going to die i am so young i haven't even really had love or sex and Mm. it doesn't matter because i'm going to die before i get any of that that's what I got. And I have very pale skin. Is that what you got? Uh, yeah, that's that seems right. Most of us work really hard to manage our time well enough to cook healthy meals, but life gets overwhelming. There are errands to run, vampires to slay, extraterrestrial beings to investigate. Luckily, there's Factor. Factor has delicious, ready-to-eat meals. They are fresh. They are never frozen. They are chef crafted and dietitian approved. And here's the best part they're ready to go in just two minutes. Absolutely no cooking required. Having a selection of these meals in our fridge over the past few weeks has been a game changer. My wife and I are eating healthier and ordering takeout less. And this is not just about dinner. Factor offers over 35 different meal options to choose from each week with more than 60 add ons. So there's breakfast, there's midday bites, and more. I have to admit, I was hesitant at first. I've never had a ready-to-eat meal that made me feel good, and I have been astounded at how delicious each meal and snack from Factor has tasted. The difference is entirely because they're not frozen. They taste as fresh as if you'd made them yourself. They're also flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week, and you can pause or reschedule your deliveries any time. Head to factormeals.com slash buffering50 and use code buffering50 to get 50% off. That's code buffering 50 at factormeals.com slash buffering50 to get 50% off. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. 
With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. It's not a bad poem. I think it's a... I think it's a high school poem. Jenny, would you like to hear one of my high school poems? Oh, goodness. Yes, question mark? <laughs> I mean, I don't have Hit to. Hit me. I don't have to share. I my... demand to hear one of your high school poems. I pulled the wrong notebook out of the garage. Um, I showed Jenny the, the picture of the notebook that I pulled out, which you sh- we should definitely include high school poetry. It's a picture of like this naked lady whose arms are crossed over her boobs as she she has she's drawn in black and white and then her wings are filled in with rainbow colors (laughs) and her very casual wings are (laughs) yeah oh yeah yeah (laughs) anyway so i'm i'm not i didn't have my whole library to choose from but one poem did fall out so i'm gonna read it to you it looks like it's called untitled now i shuffle through your thoughts dear now I rummage, and now I sift. I'm making direct eye contact with Jenny as much as I can while I read the poem. <laughs> I hate it. One action, a speck of dust on the world's existence, and I am forever damned. No apologies. Even though, even though, even though. You made me smile. You kept me going. You understood. I found out today you can't understand it all. But I want you to. I need you to. I love you. I'm sorry. What do you think? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like there it it's is. Not, I feel like I might be in a similar class as Cassie with my poetry, with my high school poetry. It's not horrible. It's just particularly rooted in a space. Which is, I think, poems yeah, I are. would say Cassie's style is much heavier on uh, imagery. That's true. That's true. And uh, you have a uh, a directness uh-huh. uh, that is less present in her style. I bet you Cassie's a water sign and I'm a fire For sign. For sure. Right? That's what's happening. Cassie is a Pisces or a Scorpio. The end. Yeah. I say Pisces. She talks about a pale fish for like half the poem. So. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, we get this poem and Xander, Xander's dialogue in this scene, specifically this next moment, makes me want to fucking jump directly out of my window and run and not stop running. He says, she's giving death a big sloppy word kiss. And that's not enough. 
She <laughs> has a yen for the big dirt nap. Xander, go home. Xander, no. Go home, bud. Why? Stop it. Sir. Come on. Uh, Willow confesses that even she posted some melodramatic love poems on the net back in the day, to which Xander replies, love poems? Oh, Xander, I told you to go home. Why are you still here? <laughs> I'm over you now, sweetie. One of my favorite. <laughs> yes, that is a good line. He's holding on to it. One of my favorite reveals of the entire series happens in this exchange where Willow admits mm. that she wrote some love poems. Fine. She also wrote some Doogie Hauser fan fiction. Play the fucking Doogie Hauser theme song. I want to read it. I want to read Willow Rosenberg's <laughs> fan fiction about Doogie Hauser right the fuck now. Correct. Dawn has some theories. Dawn's got some ideas. Dawn's got the perp fingered. <laughs> she's thinking. <laughs> she's thinking. She's thinking nobody cares what she's thinking because they just found some police records for Cassie's dad. This is so Who uh, has some drunken disorderly, the other D&D, uh, some disturbing the peace. The other D&D. Uh, and like nerd. they decide they're just going to go knock on his door and talk to him. This is... So beyond. It's literally like there's nothing to even say that could possibly give the weight to how fucked up all of this is. This yeah, man. Buffy would be so fucking fired. Oh, my God. Fired like 50 ways from fucking Tuesday. And also like, I'm sorry, but these people, these characters have just gone through an entire arc that navigated addiction and they're about to just jump in here and be like, oh, this guy's a drunk. So he's obviously beating his kid up. Literally, what the fuck? And then to and then to take that fucked up connection and to use it to fuel your car to his house to walk into this man's house and say, we know you were picked up by the cops. Are you still drinking? We worried you might hurt your daughter. Buffy, Dude. you are fired. You are. Fi we all fire you. We've all fired you. You go back to being the Slayer. This is not okay. It's not even necessarily her all of her fault because she has absolutely no training to do the job that she's in. But like, oh my fucking god. Yeah, Mr. Newton, um, played by Glenn Morshower in everything. Landry's dad. Twenty four, I think, is where I recognized him from. Uh, he was in that show a whole bunch, but he's in ev everything. And yeah, I mean, this is just fucked up. I looked at his, I looked at his IMDb credits, and like seventy five percent of his roles, like the the names of the roles that he played, he played start with either like detective, general, <laughs> officer, <laughs> lieutenant, admiral, admiral. It's it's wild. Check out his IMDb. You, you will can see not be it. He looks like all of those things. He he really yeah, has that yeah. general look. He does a great job. He's got a very short. Short scene here, but he definitely does a great job in being 100% correct and being clearly very caring for his daughter and very annoyed. Except when he says that she's not the sharpest apple in the barrel. Yeah, that's not It just great. feels like directly, uh, it feels like it is not attached to anything else about him for the rest of the scene. Yeah, agree. Agree. Weird choice. Anyway, dad was right. Buffy was wrong. They realized that they were wrong and that he's not even seeing her because yeah. he only gets to see her every one weekend every month. 
One weekend a month. They leave, and there from the darkness emerges Detective Cassie <laughs> to tell them it's not him. He's not the one who does it. Yeah, and you're making a big deal of it, and I just want it to go away. Um, now Xander gets involved and is like, are you suicidal? Do you want to kill yourself? And I'm like, who the fuck are you? Ah. You guys, being the Scoobies and killing vampires together is one thing, but like interfering in the lives of high school students because Buffy got a job at the high school is definitely mm. not mm. stop. Mm-hmm. Cassie does a little Our Town here. She's like... Oh. Oh, I'd love to graduate. I'd love to go to the winter formal. I'd love to ice skate at Rockefeller Center. I'd love to fall in love. I'd love to drop some casual fat phobia into this Our Town moment. Ah, but I won't. I just never will. I'm going to die. Oh, somebody give me a side-by-side of Ray and Graf and Cassie both doing their Our Town speeches. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, so Cassie, as she's, I mean, before she gives this whole speech, she's had been confronted by Buffy, who says, like, you don't sound like someone who wants to live. You should fight. Ah, yeah. And so um, Alba, one of Alba's notes to us, I'm just going to read it verbatim because, uh, you know, Alba saw this and said, when Cassie talks about all the things she wants to do and experience, this is Alba speaking, I related wholeheartedly. And I want to make the point that being depressed doesn't mean you have the desire to die. It's often that being alive requires so much effort that it feels insurmountable. Depressed people want nothing more than to feel happy, peaceful and serene. It's just very, very hard to to achieve and varies depending on the day, the season, and the hour. So thank you, Alba. Correct. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ken Cassie isn't a character who is a like depressed character and, and all these things, but just the idea that Buffy would say to Cassie, it feels like you don't want to live. Like, don't. That's not. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, my next note, Jenny, is... Oh, no. Boys in robes. (laughs) Never a good sign. Never Never a good sign, especially not when they're circled around a photo of Cassie that's surrounded by a bunch of coins and they set the photo on fire. That's not good. Not a good sign. Also, why did they put like this fucking circle of tiles in the library when they fucking knew? Xander, I blame you. You knew that this was the Hellmouth. Why are you going to put anything that even could come close to looking like a pentagram on the floor of this high school? Please. Stop it. Uh, We get a very brief scene um, where Buffy is looking at Cassie's website a bit more. This is where we really see that Cassie has coding skills because the fucking like artwork's all bouncing about. Wood Uh walks uh in for one joke. (laughs) He's like... Thank God it's <laughs> Can't believe I said that. And then he leaves and the scene's over. <laughs> uh, and then we get, for the first time on the show, we get a poetry montage. Mm-hmm. We see Dawn's friendship with Cassie and Mike developing. We see Scooby's researching. Buffy starts reading the poem and then it switches over to Cassie's voice. We see Cassie in her room, which has a vibe. That I wrote is. down one line from this poem, which I thought was a line I would write in one of my poems. Mm-hmm. Laugh in the trees of time. I was like, yeah, that's a me. That's a Chris and Russo would have written that down in a poem. Wow, the trees of time. The trees of time. I like that. Oh, you like the poem I didn't write, but that I said I would write. Mm-hmm. That Cassie wrote. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Fine. Fine. Uh, Don't be my friend Buffy. in high school. See if I care. 
As it was foretold in prophecy, Buffy goes down into a dark place, the mm-hmm. school basement, where Spike is being very still and quiet, trying not to hurt. This is really sad. This is really, I mean, the scenes that we've gotten this season so far between James and Sarah are, they stand apart from every episode. They're like their own little episodes that just have such power to them. And so few words, you know, like all Spike says is, if I don't move, if I don't think, if I don't listen to the voices, then it won't hurt as much. Oh, my God. Yeah. <sighs> um, Buffy has come to Spike because a girl is in danger and needs his help. <sighs> And time is running out. And then there is an incredibly obvious overdub uh, where uh, clearly a network note was like, why is time running out? We weren't paying much attention when we watched the episode earlier. Or maybe, you know, a scene, a clarifying scene was cut from just before this or something uh, where Buffy says, it's Friday, the day Cassie said she was going to die. I didn't even notice. I didn't even notice. Uh, Meanwhile, Spike is like, who's Cassie? Yeah. So Spike is inside of his own personal hell and he hears there's a girl in trouble and it immediately wires his brain to think that he is to think that Buffy is talking about herself. He says, yes, there is. Because Buffy's like, basically, you need to if there's something evil down here, you have to tell me I need to help this girl like right now. There's evil. Down here. Right here. I'm a bad man. William is a bad man. I heard the girl. It's really hard to watch just like so much of what we've seen from Spike this season and Buffy stops him. She like grabs his fist very like gently and looks at him and is like, it's a different girl. It's really a lot. Um, And Mm. then as though you didn't have enough feelings, Spike says, because she's going to leave. Spike's like, stay here and help me be quiet. Oh no. And Buffy says, I think it's worse when I'm here. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, fucking dialogue real estate here. They really knock it out of the fucking park with these two because they say hardly anything and so much. Yeah. Speaking of saying so much, Buffy, here we go. She's already struck out as a counselor 472 times in this episode, but here she is in the fucking hallway. She goes right up to Mike. Excuse me, I heard you can't get a date to the dance. (laughs) What the fuck, lady? Uh. And he's like, oh, hey, you're Dawn's sister. And she's like, uh, that's right. Dawn is my sister. <laughs> I like this yeah. little uh, figure that they've worked into the episode from both sides. Yeah, it's good. It's good. We learn that Mike doesn't care. Mike's a chill dude. He's like, it's fine. And I was thinking of actually asking your sister to the dance. Um, and he also says... Cassie's girl making boys crazy is like her job description said someone in the writer's room. Yeah, no high school student would say this. (laughs) Clank. (laughs) 
Speaking of clank, all the coins fall out of the locker. <gasps> Clankety clank. Uh, locker 281, paging, paging the owner of Locker 281. Please report immediately to the office of Miss Summers. Yeah, uh, Buffy's grilling this kid, and I don't think we even see him in the later robe scenes. I feel like a lot got cut out of Did this Did he give his robe to Buffy? Is that the is that the deal they oh, worked out? Like Maybe. Because she needs to get a robe, and she... Like, it seems like he's ready to commiserate by the end of this scene because Buffy, right. school counselor Buffy says to this kid whose locker had coins in it, I'm going to connect with your face if you don't help me do my job. You guys, Time-honored counseling tactic. Uh, boy, the number of times my school counselors threatened to assault me when Punch I was in high school. Punch Oh, so anyway, yeah, this guy gives up the goods. He tells Buffy what the plan is. And outside school, Don and Cassie, they're just getting along. They're just having such a great time. They're such pals. However, speaking of uh, not the sharpest apple in the barrel, Cassie says to Don in this scene, just remember, I'm not as dumb as I look. And Don says, I'm glad. I'm sorry, what? I think Don is saying she's glad that they're friends, but it's a poorly ordered <laughs> scene. Okay, um, that makes more sense because yeah, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> they all this is also their like, would it be a she's all that moment where Cassie acknowledges that Buffy put Don up to being her friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Zachary Ty Bryan swoops in with a winter formal fake out to distract Don. And when she turns around, Cassie is gonzo. Mm-hmm. I assume she's been whisked away by some boys in red robes. Hey, Summers, you got a date to the winter formal? Ugh, Just gross. doing a poll. Yuck, yuck, yuck. <laughs> What a dipshit. Like, why does she even, why does she look excited that he's asking her? He, oh, this guy is such she's, a tool. She's still Dawn, you know? Yeah. Uh, okay. So at the red robe ritual. Mm, what a lovely alliteration. The boys are talking and they're like, what about the fire exits? And put a pin in the fact that this kid says, I set up a booby trap my cousin Ben used to always do. My cousin Ben used to always do this booby trap, so I did it, so we're fine. Okay, carry on, carry on, okay, carry on. Okay, all right, I Here's... put a pin, put a pin in the booby. Uh, nobody, nobody goes in, nobody comes out. Uh huh. Cassie is tied up. She's got duct tape over her mouth. Things are not looking good. Zachary Ty no. Bryan is like, "Yo, lady, nothing personal. You just have that death chick suicide vibe. Probably nobody will even realize that you're gone." Unfortunately for ZTB, not to be confused with JTT, another another brother on home improvement. <laughs> One of these robes is not like the other. I laughed so fucking loud when Buffy pulls this goddamn robe off of herself. There's only like eight dudes there. Like how how did they not How did they not see Counselor Summers in a robe? Just <laughs> to question it's a question. Uh, <sighs> critical error. Uh, one thing you don't say to Buffy is get back, you stupid bitch, because <laughs> she will kick you in the face, which she does. 
She's like so over it, giving all of us longtime viewers all of the callbacks we ever wanted. Bored teenage boys trying to raise demons. Uh, She's just so over it. And then she she references the blue clam cult, which is good. In case you didn't know, the blue oyster cult is responsible for a song called Don't Fear the Reaper, which Mm -hmm. definitely existed before the movie Scream, but came into my orbit right around (laughs) the late 90s because of the movie Scream. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, she kicks ZTB and she's like, fucking blickety blah, demon. And then he he is like, that demon? (laughs) Uh, this demon's got a face piece. Yeah, I I also refer to him in my mind as the Care Bear demon because his belly seems soft and exposed. Yeah, and strangely flammable, but we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> uh, Buffy sure hucks a cleaver into this demon, but it does not slow him down. It doesn't. And uh, lucky for everybody, here comes Spike with a full torch, just ready, flaming, ready to go. Very helpful fire. Ready to fight. Uh, Buffy takes the torch, she sticks it in the belly of the demon, which is how this demon dies, I guess. (laughs) Who knows how she knew that? And Um, odd. It's usually between the eyes, but okay. Uh, Spike wrestles uh, Zachary Ty Bryan to the ground and punches him in the face a bunch. And Zachary Ty Bryan's like, who are you? And Spike's like, I'm a bad man. Yeah, Spike also like suffering with every blow because the chip is still oh, yeah. harming him for harming a human. And then he, Spike gets to Cassie and Cassie says to Spike, she'll tell you. Someday, she'll tell you. Write it. In your Shanshu prophecies. Please. Oh, my God. My favorite part of the episode is right now. <laughs> Tell me all about it. Peter, Peter, uh, a.k.a. ZTB, is looking at the charred corpse of the demon that he was trying to raise for money. <laughs> and he screams, yes? where are my infinite riches? To which the charred demon in its last gasping breath bites him in the shoulder and then he screams, it bit me. And I would like (laughs) to play the patriarchy jingle because that's a beautiful, beautiful illustration of the patriarchy. The patriarchy! Well, the demon is defeated. They go to leave. Cassie opens the door and a mounted crossbow fires a bolt right at Cassie's head. Thankfully, Buffy catches the bolt. But this this is the booby trap that someone's cousin used to do all the time. (laughs) Maybe it was with Nerf arrows. Maybe. (laughs) I mean, I guess it's Sunnydale, you know. Only the strong survive. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Uh, and then even though Buffy caught the bolt, Cassie falls to the ground. Yeah. And, and she so before but before that, she, Buffy looks at Cassie and says, see, you can make a difference. And Cassie very like very beautifully and powerfully because it's stroking someone's hair is a delicate act. You can really go wrong with it if you if you do it incorrectly <laughs> and Cassie does not. She does it really like it's just so sweet and loving and she just says 
And you will. And that's when she collapses and she dies. Yay. I mean, not, not yay that she dies. <laughs> I was like, what yay that she said the nice thing. <laughs> yay. <laughs> All of the listeners were just collectively as confused as me. Uh, so sorry. <laughs> um, before we go to the next scene, I do want to just say that um, guidance counselor Buffy Summers has also exited the library to ZTB saying, help, I'm bleeding, to which her response was, my office hours are 10 to 4. <laughs> Um, <laughs> ma'am, I know that you're ha- carrying two different jobs, but <laughs> yeah, probably also like this is a straight she's just leaving this murderer in the library. Like there's a lot of ends to be tied in this episode. It's true. Uh, anyway, we're in the living room. <sighs> we are just a little very sad roundup where we learn that Cassie's family had a history of heart irregularities Notice that there is a prominent photo of Joyce on the side table in this scene. It feels well, that, like she's kind of yes. I'm sure she's always there. She's but always it just there, feels but... like a little more pointed. Yeah. in this episode, yeah. in this scene, I should say they've changed the angle of the Joyce photograph. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yeah, and um, I took like a little bit of a pause to. And I know this is not like the point of this scene, but I, I just thought it was like an interesting line to be like she, the, her family had a history of heart regularities, and they didn't tell Cassie. Like that seems unethical. <laughs> also, like, wouldn't she just like get some treatment for her heart irregularities? Well, like, wouldn't she know from like her family? Like, right? <laughs> if somebody else. Surely somebody else that she's aware of in her family maybe had some complications. Right, right. But the point of the scene is not for us to be frustrated with Cassie's family for d- not disclosing medical information. <laughs> Those, um, For us to get this little slice of pie, which is she was going to die no matter what you did. Buffy says, I failed her. And Dawn counters, you didn't. You listened and you tried. I guess sometimes you can't help. <laughs> so what then? What do you do when you know that? When you know that maybe you can't help. Cut to Buffy going back to work showing up albeit with perhaps not the appropriate training but still but still showing up mm-hmm. and trying and trying mm. listening and trying it's a beautiful last shot it's really really beautiful i love the way that it ends through the window it's just nice and quiet it's always like it's it's not a common thing i don't think for this like show to have an episode that ends like this there are other episodes that do but it's just very poignant when they choose to do that and yeah yeah r.i.p cassie but perhaps cassie even perhaps cassie has a chance to win an award even posthumously is that you say that word (laughs) Mm, i think posthumously um yes let's check it out You know, you might think that 
an episode covering this kind of a plot might not have many uh, possible nominees, but we actually narrowed this down from a list of eight potentials. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot better than some episodes in recent memory in terms of STA offerings. Mm-hmm. The first noms for your first slot that you could just <laughs> slide right in there just like the, uh, the like glottal <laughs> noises that just happened on slot made me grimace at jenny no <laughs> uh our uh willow and doogie hauser yes! oh yeah willow and doogie, uh, doogie and willow John Mark, could you just uh, toss the sound of someone typing on a very old keyboard? Uh, Willow writing her fanfic, Doogie Hauser making his end of episode diary entry. Oh Clickety-clack. my god, what Clickety-clack. a match made in computer nerd heaven. I no in slot number two, some noms we'd rather just throw into the fire, but their chemistry is undeniable. It's Zachary Ty Bryan and Infinite Riches. Mm, they definitely had a Oh, whole a thing. tale of longing. Uh, <laughs> in slot number three, sometimes in high school mm. or other times, uh, <laughs> a beautiful, what begins as a beautiful friendship can sometimes turn into more we're crossing our fingers and rooting for Cassie and Dawn to go to a winter formal. I know that in high school, even though I didn't know it, I did want to dial 1-800-1-Cassie. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I definitely wanted to dial 1-800-1-Cassie myself. And then later, when we were older, I missed a bunch of calls from 1-800-1-Cassie, oh, actually. Shit. Missed connections. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's slot number four, just in case slot number three doesn't work because of unforeseen um, scheduling conflicts. <laughs> Why not give a chance to Dawn and that cutie, Mike? He is a cutie. I like it. He's a cutie. All right. Uh, if one of these pairings strikes your fancy, please, 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 please vote in our listener poll. You can find it on our Twitter at BufferingCast. The Sexual Attention Award poll for this episode will be live for one week from this episode's publishment. Good luck. Happy voting. If Dookie Hauser doesn't win, I'm going to be pissed off at all of you. <laughs> Just think of the end of season brackets with a picture of Doogie Hauser. Honestly. You know what I mean? You I want mean, that. Also, you like, like that. We just keep rambling about, about Doogie Hauser. Do you think that everybody knows who Doogie Hauser is? For those of you who are not aware who Doogie Hauser is, uh, he was a character played by Neil Patrick Harris. A tiny, Neil teeny Patrick Harris was... But a wisp of a lad. Oh, so little. Uh, he was like a fourteen-year-old medical doctor. Yes. He was like a he was like a super genius who like did college at age twelve and then went to med school and now is a practicing doctor. And nobody can believe it. And he wears trainers to his doctoring responsibilities. <laughs> Oh my god! And he keeps a little diary on his computer. Clickety clack, clickety clack. He does. He like it, he was like the original Sarah Jessica Parker of Sex in the City, but he was True. a teenage doctor. <laughs> Dugan the Hospy. Oh god, I loved that show. Like seriously, loved it as a child. Anyway, those are your sexual attention awards, and now you know who Dookie Hauser is if you didn't before. MD. Ta da. 
another episode down, four down, 16 to go, baby. I had a, uh, an alarming thought as I, was, as I was getting out of the shower this morning. I thought to myself, I think I only have 19 more songs to write about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And then I will break the curse, return to my natural form, mm. and go back to living in the mountains, uh, strumming my lute without a care. Also, why do you have 19 songs? Uh, well, because aren't there 22 episodes in a season? Oh, yeah. So then is my math wrong? Oh, I guess you haven't. No, you've written three. I haven't written this one yet. I see. But why did I say 16? Oh, because four down, 18 to go. <laughs> yeah. And yes, you have but 19 I haven't written, songs. At the time of our taping, I have not yet written the song Wow. For so we didn't even mean to call for it, but here's that hell math jingle. Hell math. All right. <sighs> well, who are you? Hey. I'm Jenny Owen Youngs, and when I'm not doing hell math, I'm usually writing and recording songs. Uh, all kinds of songs. I released a new song called Merry-Go-Round just last week. I've got a couple new holiday songs out from last month, and um, you can always check out my latest release, Echo Mountain, mm. uh, now available from my website on vinyl. Uh, you can listen to me sing some songs in my band LAXs. Uh, and you can listen to more of my speaking voice on my other pod, VMI pod. Does your song that's called Merry-Go-Round go, this used to be my playground with a merry-go-round used to be my... No, due to copyright laws and also other reasons, it does not go like that. <laughs> Too good, too hot to handle. That's the other Yeah, reason. too hot to handle, of course. My name is Kristen Russo, and when I'm not trying to impress Jenny Owen Youngs with my <laughs> musical abilities, <laughs> I am often working with LGBTQ communities, uh, most notably speaking at workplaces. I have spoken to many workplaces virtually over this past year, uh, talking to parents primarily about how to be awesome to their LGBTQ kids. You can learn more about that on my website, kristinnoline.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-N-O-E-L-I-N-E. It's like Noel, but with an I-N-E at the end, you know? It's not that complicated. You can, <laughs> you can use that spelling to find me on Instagram and on Twitter. And um, if you want to find us as a duo, you can. Buffering the Vampire Slayer is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at BufferingCast. Or drop us an email at BufferingTheVampireSlayer at gmail.com. Hey, you can support our work if you'd like. Join our family on Patreon. Uh, we did a lot of fun holiday things with our patrons over the last few days. We had a book club. We watched amends together. We just have a good time over there. Uh, it's a fun community. So come find us, bufferingthevampireslayer.com. Just click on Patreon. Uh, you Listen, if you still haven't gotten your Christmas gifts, you're, you've waited till the real last minute here, but it is possible hmm. that they might still make it to you in time. If you head on over to our merch shop, you can find all different sorts of enamel pins and t-shirts and sweatshirts. Oh my. And um, <laughs> if you want to leave us or Angel on Top a review on iTunes, we would love that, especially if it's good. <laughs> especially if it's good. 
And um, hey, we're going to take a little break. We're going to j- jangle some bells and drink some cocoa over here. And we'll be back on January 5th. Jangle, jangle, jingle, jangle. Yeah. This episode was produced by Kristen Russo, Jenny Owen-Youngs, and Alba Daza. With support from our consultant, Mackenzie McDade. It was edited by John Mark Nelson. And till next time. <gasps> bye. Ah, What's the point of trying to put words to this? I died and came back, I give and I give I did my best but I don't know Been feeling like my fingers lost the thread Repeating what I can't get out of my head I did my best but I don't Did my best, but still they go. In a world saturated with glossy facades comes a podcast that's breaking barriers. This is Reppin. It's where we do a deep dive into subjects like belonging, to mental health, to courage, and more. On Reppin, you'll meet the faces you think you know and discover their untold stories. It's real, it's intimate, and it gives you insight into the real person behind the images. In a world of pretense, Reppin strips it all down, No filters, no facades. Learn and be empowered and find inspiration through thought-provoking stories that resonate with your journey. 
Every episode is an exploration into the truths and values that make us who we are. Representation, it's not just about race or gender. It's about you. Repin ensures that every voice is heard. Every story is valued. So be seen, be heard, and be represented. Listen to Repin wherever you get your podcasts.